gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Soups on Hockey podcast. How are you? I am awful. Thank you for asking. So, as I'm recording this, it's Thursday night, uh, 7.38. I have been at home all day. I was not supposed to be off work today. I woke up. I believe I've talked about my neck problems before on this podcast. I know I've wrote about them before, although my site's been messed up for a while now, and I haven't ever gotten it straightened out. Don't know if I ever will. Um, but yeah. Woke up, neck problems, couldn't go into work. (laughs) Had someone who I really, really want to crush it for uh, ask if they could come in to look at a vehicle today. So I had to, before I had gone to the chiropractor or anything, I had to go help them out. And, oh man, (laughs) I just, oh, it, it sucks so bad. Because not only... Did I have my cervicogenic the headaches? I think they're they're listed as headaches, but but they're not actually headaches. I don't know. Cervicogenic neck? I don't know. Anyway, it's like I have migraines. And what brought it on today, normally it just my neck slips out of place. What brought it on today was sleeping the wrong way and having a stiff neck. So not only was I having the mimicked migraines that I get but I also couldn't move my neck (laughs) so my uh like my is it my deltoids and my I shouldn't even be talking like this I don't know anything about actual muscles but and their names but traps I think is another one (laughs) but again I should shut up shut up soups shut up yeah I'm uh pretty heavily medicated as I record this. Um, probably shouldn't be doing a podcast, but I also hate not doing anything. So here I am doing a podcast and there's a lot to talk about. This this podcast going to be, I, I don't know if much is going to be on anything but the Oilers. So the Oilers, my Oilers. You know, famous line from a famous movie, I just can't quit you. I could probably quit the Oilers. I won't, but I probably could. No, it's not that it's not that bad. Actually, those who see me on Twitter and get sick of my um bull spit, remember I have an employer now. They get sick of my bull spit and uh, they don't like that I rip on Ken Holland and, you know, hey, shame on me for wanting my favorite hockey team to be well run. Hey, shame on me. Some people's some people's points of view are something else. It's not so much their points of view, it's their hypocrite. Can I speak? 
Can I say hypocritical ways or am I just going to get tongue-tied the rest of this podcast? That's probably going to go like, I don't know, eight hours, maybe one. I don't know. Somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. Between one and eight is a safe bet. I'm not even funny tonight. You know, there's times when I do this podcast and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a riot. Not tonight. Not tonight. I'm struggling for anything to say that's anything clever, anything relevant. I don't know why you're listening. It's, you know what this podcast might be? This podcast might be the train wreck you just can't take your eyes off of, except for you have to listen to it. You can't see me. Not John Cena. <laughs> God, it's terrible. Oh, it's terrible, just like the Edmonton Oilers and the way they're run. Where do I begin? Where do I begin? Well, the draft was last Friday. Why don't we start there? Xavier Borgo liked the pick. You know, the, the pick, the move to trade back two spots, get another pick. For a team that's blown a lot of picks in the last few years. And then pick Borgo. If you would have told me before the draft, just that, that they did that, I would have been, hmm, pretty good. Pretty good move. In a vacuum, pretty good move. Except the player they passed on, pretty big stud prospect. That they pretty badly needed. Pretty badly need a stud goaltender in the system. And Jesper Wallstadt's not just a stud goaltender. Although I do, if I was doing rankings, I would have Wallstadt three behind Kosa and Askarov of the three big goaltenders in the last two drafts. And that's not to, it's not to shot on Wallstadt, keep it PG, but I'm that, like, I am, like, you, I didn't get to do rankings this year, I am sky freaking high on Sebastian Kosa, I would like someone to tell me what Kosa's flaw is that can't be fixed, like, what's going to be his hurdle, because I don't see it. He's damn near 6'7". He moves like he's 6 feet. He's got a fierce, competitive nature to him. Like, that kid has it all. And you listen to him interviewed, he sounds like he's 25. Like, it's... Sebastian Co. I've never... I personally have never ever seen a goaltending prospect that checks all the boxes like Sebastian Kosa does. Wallstat for me was third, but Wallstat again, stud prospect, stud goaltending prospect. And what's great about Wallstat and Kosa for that matter, neither guy I don't think is going to take that long. They're both late O2s. I, with Wallstat, I would say 
two more years in the SHL, one, you know, one full year maybe in the AHL, so three years. I don't even know if it'll take that long. It, it's a two to three years is what Wallstadt will be before he's split in time in the NHL. That's my, my prediction. Look at Spencer Knight. Spencer Knight stepped right in. And in, in fairness, I thought the Panthers were nuts to bring him in the way they did. Kid looked great. Now, the kid will have setbacks. I mean, you go back pretty much every goaltending prospect, excuse me, every stud young goaltender has that big setback. We just saw Carter Hart go through it this season. Carey Price went through it. Like, remember, there was a time in Carey Price's career where people were saying, Halak or Price? Who do you keep? And it was damn near Halak for the Habs. I remember <laughs> I remember as an Oilers fan, this is way back in the days of message boards being popular, and on Hockey's Future, HF boards, saying to Habs fans, oh, I think the Oilers should go after Price. And they, I'd, I'd easily give up Dustin Penner to get Carey Price. And Habs fans going, oh, that's dumb. That's such a dumb trade. I said, why is that a dumb trade? Penner's like got a couple 30-goal seasons under his belt. Power forward. He's the guy you want. Yeah, but the, the, the Habs can't even afford him. I said, well, the others could take on Roman Hammerlick's contract. And then it was like, yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Imagine that. Imagine that. Carey Price and Roman Hammerlick's bad contract for Dustin Penner. This is in the old cap system where you could simply send players to the minors if they had bad cap hits. Send them to the minors, boom. No cap it, no problem. The good old days, as I like to call them. Yeah, imagine that. Anyway, Wallstad, I think, is going to be close. I I know... uh, How much stock do you put in? So, one thing that came out after, with all the rage from Oilers fans, is... Well, hold the phone. J.D. Burke says a lot of players fell because... Let's just say J.D. Burke, who I think is still with Elite Prospects. Um, in my dealings, and this he wouldn't know who the hell I am. I barely know who the hell he is, to be honest. But um, anytime I've seen that guy on Twitter, anytime I've seen him interact with people... Um, Let's just say I do not have the highest of opinions of the guy. So having said that, I don't think he has any reason to BS anyone. But I would question how good his sources are on that. You know, a a lot of the time when people think they're connected, they really aren't. You know, they'll hear something... when Taylor Hall was in Edmonton and you heard all the rumors for two or three years about, oh, Hall's a cancer in the dressing room. Yeah, they don't like Hall. You know where that always came from? Some amateur scout who someone talked to or some pro scout who someone talked to who just had an axe to grind. That's all that ever was. 
And that's not to say Hall was the best guy ever, but that's all those, those sources, quote-unquote, that's all they ever were. And it's not like those guys aren't plugged in at all, but they're not as plugged in, you know, they're, they're not as, how do I put it? They're not as good as sources as people think they are. They think, oh, well, they're with the organization. They obviously know everything the organization's going to do. They don't. They don't. Hate to break it to you, they don't. Do they have a lot more insight than some schmuck like me? Yes. But do they know, do they have, do they have the GM's ear? Do you not think that GMs don't know that their scouts talk? You know, and and here's the other thing too, like tons of shot gets discussed. Tons. They're GMs. They, They talk about everything. But the guys who are the actual insiders, A, have access to the actual GMs. Trust me on this. I watched Bob McKenzie work the room at the NHL draft in 2010. Okay? I, <laughs> he's tight with every GM, with everyone at every draft table. He has inside knowledge. That's why he's an insider. Your brother-in-law who knows a scout <laughs> who used to work for Pittsburgh... That guy doesn't know. Oh my, I've heard so much of that trash over the years. Never forget one of my favorites. Shea Weber will never come to Edmonton. This guy I played hockey with said that. (sighs) Shea Weber didn't have a no trade clause ever. He had zero control over that. (laughs) Like... Like, it just... And no matter how much you tell people facts like that, they still don't believe you. Oh, no, 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 not, no, no. This guy who's from Sycamus, his brother knows his accountant, and that's what they say. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's something. Anyway, we're so like I, you know, JD Burke. Do, do I think he's lying? No, but do I think do I think Wallstat has major character issues? I think Wallstat might have something that maybe deters teams a bit, but a major issue that pushed him down the board. No, because I mean, if that's the case, well, then why did Kosa fall? And then why did Detroit trade up? And if that's the case, then why did Minnesota trade up to get Wallstatt? And why did L.A. want back in and other teams want back in to get that Oilers pick? No, it's Wallstatt fell because teams don't want to take goaltenders too high. It's very understandable. Like, so the Oilers passed on Wallstatt. Okay, Borgo better be the goods, and Borgo could be the goods. Elite, elite talent, like elite talent. Skill off the charts. The work ethic, that's what's scary with him. Nobody knows. But Raphael Lavoie 
had the same rep. Work at it. And Raphael Lavoie had the same rep. Oh, yeah, talented guy, but lazy. And then you saw him a month later, after rookie camp, he was at the World Junior Selection Camp, and the kid very noticeably had lost weight, probably 20 pounds. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I guess... I guess Lavoie actually doesn't have a work ethic issue. And now he's on the precipice of playing for the Oilers. I don't know about on the precipice, but he's, he's close. He won't take a whole lot of time. Borgo, I don't mind the pick. But passing the Wallstat, and then I actually already brought it up, but the other issue with the Wallstat pick... Yeah, according to the draft value chart, the Oilers got the right value for that pick. Trading down two spots, giving up the 90th pick. I'm pretty sure that's my... Oh, yeah. I'm pretty positive that is my vet walking across the street by my place. My dog's sick. I should call. I should holler at him, but... I don't want to be a bother. It probably cost me about $1,000. Probably shouldn't do that. This podcast isn't monetized. Although, although I've talked about monetizing it for a long time. Could be something coming that way. Stay tuned. It's not monetized, but this podcast is brought to you by Denim Chrysler in Lloyd Minster. Come down and see Tyler Campbell and the gang at Denim Chrysler. Let us get you in to your new vehicle today. That's Tyler Campbell at Denim Chrysler in Lloyd Minster. Come down and see, meet the whole gang. Jim, Sean, Jack, Curtis. Dave, Barry, don't forget Wendy at reception. Don't forget, you want to talk hockey. Our receptionist, Wendy Blaze, there might be two members of her family listening to this right now. You want to talk hockey, Wendy can talk hockey. There are days where I get into conversations with Wendy, and around the 20-minute mark, I start thinking, yeah, I probably should be working. Anyway, um, yeah, the Wall Street pick, people wanted him. Friedman said, I know I always quote Friedman. It's not my fault he's the best in the business. Friedman said a lot of teams wanted that pick. I think he said three, other, or three teams were after that pick. Minnesota was one, L.A. was another. Um, that much demand for the pick... It's worth more than the 90th pick in the draft. That good of a prospect on the board that people want, it's worth more than the 90th pick in the draft. Here's the other thing. As much as I like the Borgo pick, you could find guys like Borgo anywhere from the... Well, I mean, the best example that I use is Logan Stankoven went, I think, 48th to Dallas. I don't think there's a difference in the player, but I don't think there's a big difference in the two players. 
Stankhoven is Stankhoven. I, I, you know, he's not as big, but and and probably not as purely skilled, but a way better motor. You know, I I rank them pretty even as prospects. If you're gonna trade down, then trade flippin' down. Rated PG. Trade down. Trade back. You have at that point, you still, well, I guess they still do. You have, is it five or seven? I'm blanking on the number now. But you have a lot of picks to make up since the 2017 draft. 2018, they only had five. 2019, they had six. Last year, they ended up with six because they did trade back. This year, they ended up with five because they traded back once. Okay? You consider you have seven picks in a draft. You need to trade back. You need to recoup your picks. They're already down two picks next year's draft. You need to, the the system is, and you know what? The system's thin. I'll tell you why the system's so thin. People might look at it and say, the system's not thin. What's he talking about? Benson and Marodi now do not have waiver status. They need to clear, or they're not waiver exempt, sorry. They need to clear waivers starting this season. Okay, so yes, they're still prospects, but... If Benson goes on waivers, he's getting plucked. And if Marodi goes on waivers, he's probably getting plucked. Like Marodi, a right-shot center who puts up those good numbers in two of the last three AHL seasons, the year before you can write off thanks to his concussion. Someone's taking that kid. I'm thinking, maybe I'm wrong. And someone's definitely taking Benson. So boom. In a way, there's two prospects you kind of got to consider gone. Because either they're going to be on the team or they're going to get plucked. Holloway won't take long in the AHL. McLeod and Bouchard, both you got to consider on the team. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, they, they've... Said it publicly that Bouchard's like Bouchard's the top six. Like it's not like they're trying to hide it and saying, "Oh, he needs to compete for a spot." No, they know what they've got. Holloway's not going to take long. Lavoie's not going to take long. Skinner's on the precipice. Like you think about what's coming next. Ty Tulio might not be too far away, but he probably needs at least a full season in the AHL. Carter Savoy, hey, great freshman season. But don't tell me Carter Savoy's close. He's not. So there is a big gap. A big gap. Broberg. Knocking on the will be knocking on the door at, at least by the end of the season. 
Samarukov, I think, is going to be knocking on the door a lot quicker, and I'll get to why in a bit. The Oilers' system isn't that deep. It's, it's solid, but it's going to be quickly depleted. And again, I'll get to more on that in a bit. You need to recoup these picks. And in a draft that was such a wild card in general, trade the flip, PG, down. For fudge, PG, sakes. Trade the fudge, PG, down. They didn't. Uh, They did once, safely, very, very safely. They, I, I said it before the draft. I said it on Twitter. If the goaltenders are gone and other players are gone, like Brennan Hoffman, I'm still stunned they weren't interested in taking Kulamans. That blows me away. With how they've drafted over the years and the very obvious need of a quality right-shot defenseman in the system. I don't know. Maybe they're a lot higher on one of Kemp or Kesselring, or maybe they just feel like... And I mean, you, I've done this exercise before. You can easily consider Samarukov a right-side defenseman, even though he's not a right-shot defenseman. He does play as offside. Maybe they're high on Berglund. You know, Kesselring? I don't know. Man... Kessel rings one kid. I do not see the draw, but hey, I'm not giving. I, by no means am I giving up on Kessel ring, or do I think he's got no chance? It's just that his skating is woo, needs a lot of work. And I'm not here to say Philip Kemp is a terrific skater, but those out there who pumped Kessel rings tires pretty viciously for a few years, eh, hope now that they maybe realize. Yeah, maybe we were a little, little excitable on what he actually could be. Nishan Bones Highland. I like that name. I'm watching the NBA draft with no sound on while I record this. So, yeah. So, I didn't despise the Oilers draft. And I like Borgo. I do. I really do. I think... That has home run potential as a pick. I really believe that 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 pick has home run potential. I like Jake Chason. I like that pick. Um, Why am I blanking on the German kid's name? Luca, is it Menzenberger? Like... Even though I didn't do the work on the draft this year that I normally do. Pretty tough to stump me with a kid that I've never heard of before. I'd never heard of him before. And, you know, the write-up in the Black Book, because I'm a Black Book subscriber, because Hockey Prospect does amazing work, Mark Edwards. They had his, I think it's out of... I think it is out of 10. Maybe it's only out of 9. But it's kind of a weird ranking system. I want to say it's like 3 to 9 is how they rank it. But um, they had everything as 5s across the board for them. 
but his competitiveness was a seven, which is a pretty good grade. Um, so character kid, you heard him interviewed after. If for those of you who heard him interviewed after, oh man, phenomenal! I get falling in love with that kid. It, it's it's like Missouri two years ago. I get falling in love with that kid, but. <laughs> Uh, it and there was other guys on the board. I was, I was a big fan of Dylan Duke, big fan, and kind of the same type of prospect, but a forward. Duke reminded me so much of when he was drafted, of Brendan Gallagher, so so much, and he was there. And the Oilers didn't take him. And then Tampa Bay did. (laughs) Tampa Bay knows what they're doing. I trust those guys to make quality draft picks, especially in rounds two through seven. Bit of a good track record there. Oh, that. So anyway, with the Oilers, we'll we'll see. We'll see. You know, you you never know. I'm not going to destroy, you know, they've had a spotted track record, this regime, you know, and I'm including when they were in Detroit. Um, Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But one thing I'm pretty confident in saying is you made the decision to trade down and not take Wallstat. Understandable, but then you've got to you've got to commit to trading back and start recouping pick. You didn't have to recoup every pick you've lost, but it's like Borgo better hit. He better hit. Man, and that is so many of the decisions that this regime makes as I transition to where the team currently stands. It's not that I dislike the players in any way. My God, one thing I can say about Ken Holland for this season, he has put together a team of kids that I am going to adore. Fans are going to fall in love with this team in terms of the character. They're big but they're not just big. Their their resumes actually check out. Zach Hyman, the resume checks out. Tremendous, underrated player. Warren Fogle, that kid, and I heard Stoff say this. I thought the same thing. He might be Zach Hyman 2.0 because Zach Hyman took a long time to develop. To become the player he's become. Warren Fogel, same thing. Both guys just play the game the right way. No other way to say it. They don't, you know, this was talked about with Fogel, but with both guys, they don't cheat you on anything. Nothing. They don't cheat you on anything. Love those two. Duncan Keith, my favorite defenseman in the game in the last 12 years. Love him. Love him. Love the intangibles that he brings. Love the resume that he brings. Do I think he can bounce back? Absolutely, I do think he can bounce back. You know, Tyson Berry. You know what? I'll save Tyson Berry. I'll save that one. 
The Edmonton Oilers are going to have... Oh, Derek Ryan. Which, Derek Ryan was one of the few moves where I was like, that's a really good decision. Derek Ryan have always been a big fan. And hey, I, I won't BS anyone. I won't bull spit PG anyone. Derek Ryan brought to my attention by Bob Stoffer, But when he started clicking in Carolina, I was like, whoa, oh, 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 this kid's the goods. And again, guy who won't cheat you with the way he plays. Quality, fourth line center. A faster version, dare I say, of Mark Letestu. Very similar entry point for Ryan as Letestu. Very stunned Derek Ryan didn't sign with Seattle. Given Ron Francis was the GM in Carolina who brought Derek Ryan to Carolina. And then Derek Ryan's career got going in Carolina. And now Ron Francis is the GM in what is essentially Derek Ryan's hometown team. And the expansion cracking. And they need hometown guys. You would think they would want a few hometown guys, especially when they were available. And they didn't touch them. They didn't touch Derek Ryan. They didn't touch Tyler Johnson. Stunned. Absolutely stunned by that. And I know Tyler Johnson, the ticket. Yeah, I get it. But, man, Tyler Johnson can still play. He's probably... 1.4 1.4 million overpaid. You know, may, maybe 2.4 million overpaid, as much as 2.4 million overpaid. But man, for, for a team like Seattle, where he'd be a hometown guy and they need centers, and like it just felt like a perfect fit, a guy worth taking that $5.4 million risk on, especially if a pick's coming with it. Stunned Seattle didn't do that. And even more stunned they didn't pick up Derek Ryan. But who knows? Maybe Derek Ryan, since, since his days in, at the U of A, maybe he kind of considers Edmonton a second home now. I don't know. Could be. Could be. But man, this Oilers team, like, they are going to be very embraceable. Very embraceable. So, from that aspect, I, I can't can't quit them. Can't quit them. As much as I loathe the front office. Now, let's make one thing clear. I like, I think Ken Holland seems like one of the best people in the game. These are not shots at Ken Holland as a person. People need to get over that theory. People, in my opinion, people need to get over the thought that people like myself who question bad management and who happen to pay attention to how good teams are run and how bad teams are run and notice that the Oilers are run like a very bad team. People need to get over that that's somehow that they're the evil here. Okay? And when people bring it up like, oh, yeah. Guys don't want to. Guys don't want to play in Edmonton because of you people. No, I don't think I'm the people that players have the problem with who question management. I'm not adding players on Twitter, and maybe they don't mean people like me. I more so suggest that it's the absolute scum of the earth people who went after Ethan Bear after the Winnipeg game. 
think those are the people that players don't want to deal with on social media. I don't think it's people who say Ken Holland should have only paid fair value for Duncan Keith rather than overpaying. And by the way, when a guy like Duncan Keith comes in and then has to outperform, you know, like when I hear guys like Gord Miller two years ago or whatever it was, three years ago maybe now, no, it was two years ago. Talk about how Edmonton's a toxic market. You know why Edmonton's a quote-unquote toxic market? It's because there's a lot of smart hockey people in Edmonton who know that bad management make bad decisions. You know, nobody's going to get... Nobody's going to get completely fired up if Ken Holland fails but did a good deal for Duncan Keith. Nobody's going to lose their mind over that. If Duncan Keith cost Caleb Jones and Chicago ate half his deal, or even up to you know, 3.55 mil, or no, 2.55 million to make his deal worth 3 mil, and you don't include the pick, because here's a you know, spoiler alert, you shouldn't piss away assets and you shouldn't piss away cap space. That's the fundamental flaw that goes on in Edmonton. And yeah, one-offs don't hurt, but accumulations do, and they do it in every deal. Duncan Keith for three mil with Caleb Jones going the other way, well worth the risk, even though the analytics still say that's a dumb decision. For the Oilers situation, it's, it's, it's an okay gamble. That's an okay, that's a calculated risk. And I said this on my last podcast. Do you sink your money into RRSPs or do you sink it into lottery tickets? Because you can make a hell of a lot more on lottery tickets, you know. You know, if you win the lottery, whoo! Who needs RRSPs? I won 70 mil in the Lotto Max. I don't need to save money. But what's the smarter investment? I don't hear about people putting $300 a month into lottery tickets. You know why? Because it's stupid. But hey... You win the lottery, you get way more money than you would buy an RRSPs. So what are you doing? Buy lottery tickets. People don't understand. That is literally how these GMs, and Holland's not the only one. There's very few in the NHL who are actually wise, who actually operate like MLB teams do, who finally woke up after several years of stupidity going on in their game and now are run properly and make calculated decisions and calculated risks. They're not saying, hey, we got the room, let's piss it away. That's what Ken Holland did. Ken Holland operated the exact same way this summer that Mark Bergevin did last summer. And a lot of GMs tried to do that. Why? Because so many of them look at Mark Bergevin and say, look how good that worked out. They made the finals. And 
they're literally all so stupid to notice that they lost, were massacred, by a team that went back to back. In the age of parody, the Tampa Bay Lightning the last four years were a win away from winning the Stanley Cup because if they would have made the finals in 2018, they would have smoked Vegas. They were a historically great regular season team in 2019 and ran into a hot goaltender in Sergei Bobrovsky. Won the cup and won the cup. Tampa Bay is, you can't see how far my finger and thumb are apart, but there's barely any room without them touching. Let's just put it that way. That close to winning four straight cups, and yet the majority of the NHL think that the right decision is to not operate the way they do, but operate the way that the team that, frankly, got pretty lucky to make the final, let's operate the way they did. It's dumb. It's dumb. That's not to piss on you Habs fans. And it's not, it's not even to piss on Mark Bergevin. You want to operate that way. That's fine. Like to each their own. It's just that you see how it fails 99% of the time. And it failed again. The Habs aren't getting back there. That man just, that same GM just gave three years and 4.5 per to a one-dimensional sniper that he has no need for on his team. Oh, well, the Habs can't score, and Hoffman can score. So, obviously, they're going to score more. (sighs) Sure. Because, you know, this is a league of just, you know, standing there and shooting the puck. There's nothing else that goes into it. Just load up with snipers. Yep, sure. That Hoffman deal is going to be a disaster. My opinion, it's going to be an absolute disaster. Like the guy couldn't light it up in the worst division in hockey this season. The guy on a nightly basis got to see Arizona, San Jose, LA, and Anaheim. And had a terrible season. On a very similar team to the Canadians. So you think he's going to fit with your team? Who would you rather have right now, Nick Suzuki or Robert Thomas? I'd rather have Robert Thomas, or sorry, I'd rather have Nick Suzuki, but it's very close. In fact, I had them 12th and 13th, respectively, in the 2017 draft rankings. You know, you don't have Philip Deneau anymore, so I can't even use Philip Deneau or Ryan O'Reilly. Oh. Habs, man, it's that, that Mike Hoffman deal. I just, anyway, it's not what this is about, but like, it just blows my mind that teams try to operate the way that a team that failed did. Now, that's the way. 
but it's the quote-unquote hockey men looking for validation. They don't want to look at Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay didn't do it like hockey men do it. You know, when Tampa Bay won, it was immediately, yeah, it was because of Barclay, Goudreau, and Pat Maroon. No, no, it was because they had one of the best players in the world at every position. You know, Braden Point, probably top five center in the game. Victor Hedman, top defenseman in the game. Andre Vasilevsky, top goaltender in the game. Nikita Kucherov, top winger in the game. Like that, That's why. That's why. Did Maroon and uh, Goudreau mean nothing? No. No. Effective players. I like them. But that's not why they won. <laughs> you know? Like, it's just not. It's such a myth, man. It's such a myth. What am I at for time? I'm at 45 minutes. <sighs> yeah, and I get into these arguments it, it, more and more and more. I get into these arguments with guys who are in the 45 to 55 age group who get now more than ever very defensive about this stuff. One guy the other day blocked me on Twitter and then went and took a cheap shot at me after he had blocked me because he was so fired up that I said the Duncan Keith deal was a bad trade. It was. And his whole angle was, yeah, he didn't understand that you need veteran leadership. It's too stupid to know that. Um, I actually wanted Duncan Keith on the team. I actually was big time in favor of Duncan Keith being, being acquired by the Edmonton Oilers. I was big time not in favor of paying a horrendous price for it. You know, I sell vehicles. If we've got three vehicles that are the exact same vehicle, but the one is the color you want, and I have it marked at double the price of the other ones, and then, oh yeah, by the way, in a month, it will be the same price as the other ones, and you still buy that vehicle... With all that knowledge, you're a moron. You are a moron if you do that. And that's what Ken Holland did. There wasn't even other, you know, and the Duncan Keith thing got very justified when the Blackhawks then picked up, what was it, $12.4 million in salary by taking on Marc-Andre Fleury and Tyler Johnson. And they, oh yeah, they acquired a second-round pick doing that. Tyler Johnson, Marc-Andre, Marc-Andre Fleury won the Vesna, And he was free. Now, if you want to say, well, okay, but look at you know, you needed to take on Duncan Keith's whole salary. Fine. Fine. I'll listen to that argument. The Oilers also gave up Caleb Jones and also gave up what will be a conditional second-round pick, which you might think, well, what does that mean? A, second-round picks, pretty valuable. B, it literally ties up two of their draft picks. Now, I suppose if the Oilers were to trade their third-rounder and just say to Chicago, yeah, we'll just give you a second, you know, I guess that frees up the third, 
And people think, oh, those picks never hit. Do you realize those picks also get dealt in trades? Do you realize that those draft picks are actually currency? You know? What did Eric Stahl go for this year? A third and a fifth? Well, the others can't pay that because they, they can't get an Eric Stahl at the trade deadline because they can't add a third. I guess they could go to the next draft, the 2023 draft, piss away more picks. Yeah, so many guys. Another guy the other night teased him. Teased him because he told me, no, 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 the Duncan Keith trade was good. You don't understand. It was good. No, no, it was good. I actually watch every Chicago Blackhawks game ever, and Duncan Keith's still good. Funny, all their beat writers were stunned that Duncan Keith got that much in a trade, but yet some guy who has a job and a bunch of kids and no time to watch even his own team play watched Duncan Keith that closely. Oh, no, I watched him. No, no, he's good. Yeah, you watched him. You watched him in a highlight pack one night versus Florida. You didn't watch him. That's just your lame excuse. So when I teased that same person the other night about how, you know, this validates that the Duncan Keith trade was terrible for Edmonton, that person then doubled down and told me that I just... What, it, what was the exact phrase? It was something like, oh yeah, you just think you know it all. Me, the person who actually like picks apart everything he gets wrong, uh, has depression over, you know, and like, you know, I get depression a lot. That's not like a newsflash to anyone who listens to podcasts, but like I'll get depressed if I get a few things wrong. Like I'll get embarrassed, you know, which is, you know, I shouldn't be doing this if that's the case, but whatever, it's the case. I always feel relieved when I can get on a platform and say I was wrong, if I believe I was wrong. You know, like with the Montreal Canadiens, I still don't believe I was wrong. They had a nice run, but I think now they're going to be pretty dicked for the next 10 years although it won't show for a very long time still. And the path was actually better to rebuild when they had the chance. You know, is one run to the final where you get obliterated worth, worth years and years of mediocrity followed by years and years of a rebuild? Because I went through that as an Oilers fan. You know, if I had to guess tomorrow... I'd say the Habs aren't making the playoffs next year. Just like Dallas didn't make the playoffs this year. Edmonton didn't make the playoffs in 07. You know, like we've seen this run a hundred times before. Jersey didn't make the playoffs in 2013. You know, like it's... It's pretty common. Anyway, I'm getting way off track now. Point being, Ken Holland pays ridiculous prices. And he did it again. Zach Hyman, ridiculous price. I don't even know of another team who was seriously in on Zach Hyman. The Zach Hyman deal was such a sure thing that he came to Edmonton to check out, you know, everything. On his own dime. It was that sure of a thing. 
Now, was that because Zach Hyman wanted to that badly play in Edmonton? I don't buy that. I think that happened because Zach Hyman got that badly overpaid by the Oilers. That's what I think. Now, apparently Toronto did offer him, reportedly, the full term, which is understandable when you're trying to get the cap number down. If that's the aim with the term, then I get it. You know, and especially for a team like Toronto, who's kind of got a, you know, could be a window here with Austin Matthews' contract. What's it got? Two years left, I think, three years left. That could be a concern. And Edmonton's got a window now. Edmonton's got a window of a max of five years. Right now, though, I would say it's a four-year window because that's when Leon Dreisaitl's contract runs out. So the way the Oilers are looking at it is we don't give a damn past that four or five years. That's why they did the Nugent Hopkins contract like they did, and that's why they did the Hyman deal like they did and wanted the eighth year. But Ken Holland overpaid. I really, I love Zach Hyman, man. I love Zach Hyman. And man, if the Oilers got five quality seasons out of Zach Hyman with, say, three that are near what he just was this season, home run. But that is so risky. Chances are Zach Hyman is not that player and that he had a career year and that he's going to break down quickly because of the style of game he plays. I hope I'm so wrong, but that's just, that's just the odds. You know, that's, that's just how this stuff goes. Does Zach Hyman play much different than Andrew Ladd did? No. No, in fact, I'd say they're a very similar player. Very similar player. Andrew Ladd broke down. Same, same type of deal. In fact, it might have been the exact same deal of seven years and five and a half. <laughs> might have even been the same age. I'm trying to think. That was 2016, and Andrew Ladd's a 30. Yeah, so he was 30. He's an 86. Maybe a late 85. But yeah. And then Warren Fogle. Ethan Bear. I don't even have a problem with, you know, once Larson left and Barry became real and you started wondering, okay, we know they're not going to do Barry, Bear, and Bouchard on the right side. They're not going to go with the killer bees on the right side. Something's got to give. And you start looking at it, it's like, oh, it's Ethan Bear. And hey, credit, Kirkpatrick, if you're listening. My buddy Todd has said for months Ethan Bear was getting traded for a winger. For months he said that. Full credit. And I told him not a chance. See? Wrong. Me? Wrong. Wrong. Me. Soups. Very wrong. See, person who was telling me I just, I'm a know-it-all or whatever, I can never admit that I'm wrong. Whatever it was said. Yeah, wrong. Wrong. Tucker Patrick, right. Me, wrong. This podcast, PG, brought to you by Denim Chrysler. 
Come see the good folks at Denim Chrysler if you want your new vehicle today. Yeah, like Warren Fogle. Love Warren Fogle. Love him. Love that pickup. Absolutely love it. Top nine winger versus top four right shot defenseman. Ethan Bear, younger Ethan Bear, has a good contract, a value contract. Warren Fogle, free agent. RFA, but free agent. The Oilers got beat in that trade. Now, one thing I will defend Holland on, there's a pattern that we're all pretty well aware of by now. Hyman, close friend of Connor McDavid's. Warren Fogle, close friend of Connor McDavid's. Devin Shore, close friend of Connor McDavid's. Darnell Nurse is already on the team. But this reeks, this reeks of desperation, this reeks of bad management, but this also does reek of superstar player telling the organization, we're going to do this or else. And that's not to rip on Connor McDavid, but it really looks that way, that that's what actually, like, more than anything, that that's what happened. This is a team that's now big and fast and can skate. You put Holloway eventually into this mix. You put Lavoie eventually into this mix. Holloway, Lavoie, McDavid, Dreisaitl. You know, if they hang on to Cassian. I'll get to that. Actually, let's take Cassian out of that. Let's put Hyman in that. Let's put Fogel in that. You know, this team up front, big and can skate, which has been the MO of this organization. There's no doubt. They have pretty early on, I think they noticed that there was some size that could really skate. And the aim has been to get faster initially and now get bigger, but not sacrifice the speed. And that's what they've done. They've gotten bigger without sacrificing the speed. It's a big team up front that can skate. Scary. You just wish... I forgot Pulley Harvey. <laughs> Puliarvi might emerge as one of the top wingers in the game this season. Like, you look at how his trajectory goes and how raw he still is, but the talent, like, I'm really hoping he's working on his hands this summer. Because, man, if that kid, and he has hands at other levels, he has great hands, it's just that he doesn't have the confidence with the puck that he needs to have. Man, he gets some hands. Whew. That might be a 30-30 guy who's up for, the, up for the Selkie every year. Like, 
He's that good. He's that talented. They're a good team up front, but man, they paid a premium to do it. And sacrificed on the back end. Now, the back end is interesting. I have said this on Twitter already, but I'm going to reiterate it. The two biggest wild cards on this Oilers team entering next season are going to be Evan Bouchard and Cody Ceci. Now, Evan Bouchard's not really a wild card in that will he or won't he play. No, Evan Bouchard will kill it on the bottom pair. The problem is Tyson Berry and that deal was a good contract. They did not overpay, in my opinion, for Tyson Berry. Three years, reasonable term, $4.5 million, not much of a raise from what he got. seven hundred and fifty k from what he got. That's very reasonable for a guy who can skate and move the puck. So I don't, and I don't blame Ken Holland for Adam Larson at all. We knew... He tried to get Adam Larson on that same contract. That was out there for months. Adam Larson decided to leave. What can you do? You know, that's that's not on Ken Holland. But Evan Bouchard, Tyson Berry can't be a top-pairing defenseman on a contender. Tyson Berry's fine if he's the top pairing guy in the regular season with Darnell Nurse. That can that can get you by, especially in the Pacific Division this season. But if the Oilers want to contend, they need a legitimate top pairing guy. Evan Bouchard has the talent to be a legitimate top pairing guy. They need him to be that guy by the time the playoffs roll around or maybe even by the trade deadline so they don't blow a bunch more assets to get that guy. And Evan Bouchard has the talent. He can do it. Can he do it that quickly? We will see. And then Cody CC is the other one. And Cody Cece has the talent. I'm going to tell you this right now. When Co- The first year I did mock drafts was 2012. Ironically, that was Cody Cece's draft year. Cody Cece, I said from the start, I probably have it written down. Hopefully I'll find it and tweet it from that early mock draft, one of my first pieces I wrote. But I said... Cody Cece coming out had all the stats. He was going into that draft, like that season, he was a top five, projected top five pick. Fell a bit, but didn't fall too bad. But he had all the stats, and I'm looking at everything that he brought to the table, and he's not a great, he's an okay skater, but he's not a great skater. Like, he doesn't move that well. He he moves the puck okay, but he doesn't move it that well. And the more I read up and then the more I watched on Cody CC, and I wasn't, I wasn't uh, doing rankings of players at the time. I was just doing a mock draft. But I would still watch. I would still get into why I think organizations will like players. And with Cody CC, I... Uh, 
I remember thinking, this reminds me so much of Jason Smith. Not that I remembered when Jason Smith was drafted, but I knew the story of how Jason Smith was a tremendous offensive defenseman in junior whose game completely transformed in the NHL to being a tremendous defensive player. And I said, that's what I see. That's how I see Cody Cece, pardon the pun, that's how I see him becoming. That's how I see him being successful in the NHL, is becoming a Jason Smith type player. He's putting up the numbers, but I don't think he'll be able to do it in the NHL. He needs to become a defensive defenseman. Well, Cody Ceci in the last few years has started to evolve. Gord Wilson, there was a great interview that Stoffer did with Gord Wilson the other day. And shout out to Gord Wilson, who I had the privilege twice to job shadow uh, in 2000. Actually, it was very late 1999. And again in 2004. Got to job shadow him. Thanks to the Redden family for setting that up for me. Gord Wilson is awesome. Just an awesome person. Never forget, when the first night I job showered him, it was when Any Given Sunday was coming out, and they had an ad for it on the sc- big screen and at, uh, at the time Skyreach Center. And, uh, and I'll never forget, he goes, oh, that looks so good, hey? <laughs> and as a 16-year-old kid at the time, I remember thinking, yeah, that's it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Gord Wilson, great interview with Stoffer. And Gord Wilson broke it down great for Cody Cece. So what happened with Cody Cece is, and I'm not sh- I think the way he said it was Ottawa needed him to become a defensive defenseman. They needed him to play that role. But if I had to guess, I would say Cody Cece wasn't killing it as an offensive defenseman. And so they knew he was better suited for that role. But, you know, Gord Wilson can't say that publicly. So anyway, Cody Cece over the last few years has been evolving as a defenseman. And now it's starting to look like by the metrics that Cody Cece is actually becoming that very solid stay-at-home defenseman. Cody Cece has the talent to fully fill the shoes of Adam Larson. The talent. But can he? To give the Oilers the benefit of the doubt, even though I think they're a poorly run organization, I honestly do not believe they make the type of commitment to Cody Cece that they did if they don't big time believe he can fill those shoes. You know, I, I don't I don't think and here's the other thing, I don't think Cody Cece gets that contract anywhere in the league unless other people fully believe he can be that type of player. It's a four year deal. Like unless the Oilers were that desperate, but even I don't believe that they would have been that desperate. I think they legit think Cody Cece under Tippett and Playfair and with Keith mentoring him as his D partner 
can become that type of player. You know what I'd do if I was the Oilers? Now that he's retired, I would give Nick Jalmerson a call and see if he would come into work with Cody Ceci. Because you wouldn't just get him helping him out to become that defensive defenseman that the Oilers really need him to be. They badly, badly need him to be that guy. But he would also have tips on how exactly to play with Duncan Keith. I don't know. That's that's a pipe dream that never happened, but just a thought. I mean, there there are a lot of connections that Ken Holland should be using uh, to his former players to enlist their help. Chris Chelios, Nick Lidstrom. I don't think you're going to get Eiserman's help. Just call me crazy, but I don't think you are. I don't think you're getting at Shanahan's help. Call me crazy. But there are a few guys that he could probably call upon to help out with mentoring some of these players. I don't, I don't think, I think the blue line's a little bit worse. But having said that, the blue line is actually very intriguing to me because I think the potential is there to be much improved. But there's three big wild cards, and I just talked about two of them. Obviously, the other one is Duncan Keith bouncing back to a high level. Obviously, he doesn't have to get to where he was, but Duncan Keith reemerging as a top 20 defenseman in the league is probably pretty badly needed. And I thought he had a great chance to do that if he was being paired with Adam Larson because it was going to be the closest thing that he had since Nick Jalmerson to that type of D partner. You know, it's no coincidence that when Keith's game started to fall, Jalmerson was gone. You know, the, the last season Keith started to slip was 2017. Jalmerson was still there in 2017, I think. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, because they traded the seventh pick to the Rangers in 2017. That was all... I'm trying to think of what all they did in that draft. Yes, I'm very, I'm very confident that it was the 2017 draft, but I'm trying to think for sure. Um, when they got Ranta and they got Jalmerson and they got... Oh, uh, the Rangers took Leah Sanderson with that pick. I swore they got it from Arizona, but what went... Oh, well, Auntie Ranta was what who went to Arizona. So now I'm trying to think of what the Jalmerson trade was. Because Derek Steppen went with Ranta for that seventh pick. Did Jalmerson... No. I can't keep it all straight, but anyway... Oh, Connor Murphy. That's what it was. And yeah, Connor Murphy, not Nick Jalmerson. Connor Murphy, pretty similar to Cody Ceci, but Cody Ceci really needs to become a Jason Smith and Adam Larson type. Like, really, really, really badly. Here's the one thing I will say, though, for Holland, too. If I'm going glass half full, and I'm probably more positive about all this than what anyone thought I was going to be. 
I haven't touched on the goaltending yet. Should I touch on the goaltending first? Well, I'll just say it quickly because I don't need to spend much time on the goaltending. But with the goaltending, it's actually, and I said this on Twitter, you may have seen it. I actually have no problem with them waiting because, and actually, I think it's the smartest move rather than upgrading now because if they were to do that move now, Miko Koskinen has negative trade value. That tandem has proven they're good in the regular season. So there's no need to touch it for the regular season. Wait till the trade deadline. At the trade deadline, A, you can see if you maybe need to upgrade both. But also, also, Miko Koskinen will not have negative trade value. So, if he's not going to have negative trade value like he would now, where you'd have to pay to get rid of his salary, and I don't know, there are reports that some teams would be interested in Koskinen. I don't know if they'd be interested in Koskinen, though, at 4.5. But you get to the trade deadline, and if a team has a goaltender they're willing to part with, and they're missing the playoffs... Taking on four point five million of Miko Koskinen when most of the money has actually already been paid, they won't care about that. Teams don't care about taking on cap hits at the trade deadline. Like it, it doesn't cost anything. You know, it, it's just a throw in. You know, the Oilers threw in Sam Gagne with the Andreas Athanasiu trade. Detroit wasn't making Edmonton pay more to do that. It was, hey, we've got to send Sam Gagne because we've got to make the salary fit. Yeah, of course. Every team's got to, you know, max out their cap space of the trade. It's just a given. So let's say, for example, that the Chicago Blackhawks miss the playoffs like they very likely will, and they're going to trade Marc-Andre Fleury at the trade deadline, and the Oilers are in position where, oh, this team could... This team could really do some damage in the playoffs if they have a goaltender. Well, you know, we can debate all day whether or not Marc-Andre Fleury would come to Edmonton. But let's say he would. It's a given that the Hawks would eat half of his contract to get him down to $3.5 million, and they would take the full salary of Miko Koskinen. Why do they do that? Why do they eat that much salary? Because it doesn't matter at that point. If they're trading Marc-Andre Fleury, they're not going to win the cup. They're not serious about making the playoffs. So it doesn't matter. Their season's done. So that's actually the right play. Now, what I was going to say about the defense and Cody Cece and that, and just the team in general, one thing that we have to remember with this team I talked earlier about the prospects and how Tyler Benson really isn't, you know, can't be considered a prospect anymore because he's either going to be on the team or he's going to be with another organization. And likely the same with Cooper Marodi, though not as certain. Dylan Holloway, close to playing. Lavoie, close to playing. Broberg, 
I think he needs a full year, but with Broberg, it's not that he couldn't play right away. It's that if you want to develop him right, he needs at least a year. Samarukov, probably half a year. And Samarukov's the interesting one. If you ask me, which you obviously, you must have, because that's why I'm doing this podcast, is you have the questions, I have the answers. Something like that, I don't know. My meds are really getting to me at this point. But uh, Dmitry Samarukov has immense talent. Dmitry Samarukov has the talent to be a very good top four defenseman. And definitely has the talent to be that shutdown defenseman, that Nick Jalmerson, that Adam Larson. It's possible that if Cody CC fails, Nick Jalmerson, or sorry, Dmitry Samarukov gets a look. A serious look. Because if Cody CC fails, they're not going to have another choice. That's going to be a boat anchor deal. And that's the thing. That's the thing about that gamble. Four years. Is that this guy's reputation for the previous two summers was boat anchor. Not a good defenseman. Bad contract. So if he has a bad start to the season, instantly instantly his value will be negative. And the Oilers won't be able to shed that $3.25 million. So Dmitry Samarukov is the only guy in the system who I believe has the ability to step into that role. And when I say has the ability to step into that role, I mean can actually play the right side, can actually bring the size and physicality and defensive game. Not to say that Dmitry Samarukov is there, but it's like Cody Cece. He has the ability to be that guy. Would I roll the dice on that today? Hell no. Hell no. But could he be that guy? That might be the only other option they've got. There's rumors out there. There's a lot of rumors out there that the Oilers are going to still sign Ryan Murray. That would be another guy who legitimately has the talent and could possibly step into that role. So I really like the idea of Ryan Murray, not to mention as a bottom pair left shot defenseman. I really like the Ryan Murray idea, assuming that it's under a million dollars. I also, while I'm on the topic, really like the idea of Nick Ritchie and trading Zach Cassian. But the Oilers' prospects shouldn't be forgotten with all these moves. Like, you think about how much better they're going to be up and down the lineup up front with Fogel and with Hyman. Two guys that play the right way. Well, Dylan Holloway is another kid who plays the right way. And he won't be there yet. But Dylan Holloway plays the game the right way. He plays a complete game. You could potentially have a guy like that on every line. And those guys are so underrated. 
guys who maybe don't have the finishing ability that people crave, but they make so much happen that goals get put in the net anyway. To steal something from the NBA as I watch the NBA draft, um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, <laughs> let's just go on the Greek freak because I don't want to try to say Antetokounmpo and butcher his name so much. But Giannis just won the NBA title, as you all know. Giannis was going to the free throw, free throw line. Oh, my good gourd. Giannis was going to the free throw line twice as much as anyone else in the series. And I mean twice as much as the next highest guy in the NBA. Now, people say Giannis isn't good at the line. Right. But he's shooting twice the amount of free throws. So you think about this. Giannis shooting 50% at the line, which he's better than 50%, is putting up more points at the free throw line than the next guy if he were shooting 100%. It's a lot of points. Hyman, Fogel, and I'm believing Holloway, these are going to be guys who don't have the finishing ability, but they're going to create twice, if not three times as many scoring chances. So what does it matter? Would you like them all to go in? Yes. Does it matter at the end of the night when you've won 5-2? No. Not to mention the forechecking, the backchecking, the penalty killing. Size and speed, baby. Size and speed. This team's going to have it. You know, as much as I hate Ken Holland for how he's operated and how, like, just how badly overpaid he does. He, he, oh, geez, I can't even get, I'm so mad when I think about it. And I'm not even speaking English at certain points tonight. Free fro line. Free fro line. Um, as much as I hate how badly Holland overpaid for everything, just about everything, he's built a team that is going to be so embraceable, and it's very close to being a contender. The problem is that it shouldn't be very close. It should be a contender. But because he kept overpaying for everything, he then didn't have the cap space or the trade bullets to get the other pieces that he needed to put them over the top. We'll see. There's still more summer to come. Maybe Thomas Tatar ends up coming in on a cheap deal. Wouldn't surprise me. Would not surprise me. And that's another guy. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, yeah, he's soft. But speed, forecheck, great in his own zone. I have a lot of time for Thomas Tatar. Now, I would prefer Nick Ritchie because, and I know analytics guys don't like Nick Ritchie. Um, we're seeing it too often with power forwards, man. And it's, it's a cliche that f- became forgotten over the last few years. But power forwards just take, a lot of the time, they just take more time. Look at Pulley RV. He's just taking more time. He's going to get there. Josh Anderson took some time. A lot of injuries, but he's there.
Nick Ritchie has taken some time, but he had 15 goals this season. And it's not like the guy was playing on the perfection line in Boston. Nick Ritchie is the type of guy who could, who has the talent to play with a Connor McDavid. And can you imagine if they got Nick Ritchie's motor going, if they found a way to get Nick Ritchie's motor going all the time? You know, Ryan Getzlaff isn't exactly, as much as I wanted Ryan Getzlaff on the others, he's not exactly a role model when it comes to work ethic. <laughs> Nick Ritchie gets around guys who are going to play the game a lot harder. He might evolve into that Josh Anderson type player. He has that ability. I would rather take the chance on that. But I, if they got Thomas Tatar for cheap, I definitely wouldn't cry. More speed, more forechecking ability. I want it up and down the lineup. I want four lines who can make life miserable for the opposition. But man, don't forget about Dylan Holloway and the fact that he's probably going to be on the team by midseason, if not out of camp. Don't forget about Tyler Benson. One thing I'm excited for with Tyler Benson is I do believe Tyler Benson could learn from guys like Hyman and Fogle on how to be effective in the NHL. Because Tyler Benson, he's, he's just, just lacking. I said this a lot last season. Tyler Benson needs to find something that sets him apart, that makes him different. He can't just be the guy who produces at the AHL level. He can't just be, hey, Tyler Benson, nice vision, does a lot of things nice offensively. He's just a nice player. You know, he's a point-per-game guy at the AHL level. No, he needs something. He needs to go to the paint a lot more. He needs to get greasier in his game. He needs to find some things that set him apart and that make him valuable to an NHL team. And he has that ability. His skating's not bad. Like, his skating's not good. Like, it's, it, he's not going to stand out as a skater. But his skating, in my opinion, isn't what's going to keep him from making the NHL. What's going to keep him from making the NHL is not finding that thing to set him apart. Not becoming that net front presence or not becoming that, you know, that tremendous four checker, tremendous on the back check. And I mean, a guy like that probably not going to become that guy, but that greasy, hard to play against player. That's what Tyler Benson needs. And this is his last shot with the organization, his training camp. Assuming he's still there, he's still with the club going into training camp. And because it wouldn't, you know, shock me if they dealt him for someone that they view as more of a sure bet to make the team or improve the team. Uh, he's a logical piece to go out. But assuming he is going to get his chance, and Ken Holland said today as I'm recording this, tomorrow if, as you're listening to this, that he is going, you know, he, he does want to see a guy like Tyler Benson have a chance to make the club. He's earned it. But Benson needs to have something that sets him apart. But assuming that Benson stays in the fold, Benson, Holloway, Lavoie, like even Borgo, Borgo, Lado too, he might be ready after one more season in the queue. A lot of these prospects are on the cusp. 
So this team's actually going into the season, they're really deep. You look at the back end. Niemalainen is ready for a look. And Niemalainen has the talent to play. Just because he was forgotten doesn't mean that he's nothing. He has the talent to play. People forget about Logason. I don't think Logason's much, but we saw him play tremendous for a bit. And, you know, big time wild card when I say this. But I guess if you're searching for another option to be that Larson type guy, Logason probably can't do it. <laughs> but, but you wouldn't have said that in his first five to 10 games last season. His first five to 10 games last season, you would have said, oh, he's going to be that guy. And then his whole season just went in the tank. Lot, a lot of prospects that are on the cusp. Marodi, we're always looking for a right shot center. Cooper Marodi, man. And we're going glass half full. Devin Shore. And people will laugh at me for saying that. But it wasn't that long ago that Devin Shore was the ideal third-line center in this league. He has, he's only, what, 27 this season? He has the ability to get back to being that guy. That was one, one move that Holland made where everybody was losing their skull. And I said to myself, for $850,000... A contract that you can simply bury. That's worth the risk. And I know the analytics don't check out. But that is worth the risk. That guy, when he was right, was pretty damn close to Adam Lowry. He has the ability to be an ideal third-line center. Absolutely perfect third-line center. So I'm okay with them taking that risk because that contract, if he, if he isn't that guy, throw him in the minors, it's no skin off your ass. Hi, Griff. My pup has been feeling sick the last few days. Well, the last few weeks, he's been sick and we're trying to get him healthy. He's not like scary, you know, something might be serious, wrong, long-term wrong with him sick. They just can't figure out what's wrong with him. We think at this point it's probably irritable bowel syndrome or it might just be the fact that since he got sick, he's pretty, he's become very picky on what he wants to eat. Apparently that's pretty common with golden retrievers. So my man Griff, two and a half years old, he'll be three in October and he just, he's having a rough, uh, rough month. Rough month, so. And he's been sleeping this whole time I've been recording the podcast. And now he's coming out to say hello. Right, bud? Yeah, you aren't barking, that's for sure. What you eating, bud? Is that your bone? Is that your bone? I talk to my dog like, you know, like anyone else does. I don't try to hide it. I know my shame. He wants out, so I better let him out. Isn't this good podcasting?
This is the best. Isn't this good, Griff? You'd listen to this, wouldn't you, bud? Yeah. Oh, yeah, here you go. So he's going to go outside for a run. Neighbor's probably going to hear me record this. Whatever. Fudge him. PG. A lot of prospects that are on the cusp. And that can't be forgotten. And, and the one thing I'll say about this system is because you look at guys like Dineshkin. I actually really like that kid and think that he can play. Oh, Griff's about to go nuts. Just heard another another dog bark. Oh, yeah. He's about to lose it. I can always hear him get in position before he barks. Oh, yeah. Ears perked up, ready to go. Bark away, man. It's okay. He thinks I'm going to give him shit. Oh, forgot this is PG. Thinks I'm going to... Let's rewind that. He thinks I'm going to give him shot. PG. Checking the time again. 41 minutes. Jeez. Two hours is right. I better finish this in under two hours. There's a big gap, though, between the Oilers prospects who are ready, because there's a lot of them, and the Oilers prospects who are coming. They are a ways off. Dineshkin, I still think, probably needs another couple seasons. And probably will take them, you know. Um... Stuart Skinner is another one that I have not been talking about that you look at their cap situation going into next season now and yes on paper they have 20 million ugh ugh remember you could actually in my opinion what they should do this season is they should trade Zach Cassian now if Nick Ritchie is only going to cost a mil to a mil and a half, even if Nick Ritchie is two and a half million and they can get Zach Cassian off the books without paying anything, then they should do that because they need that cap space for next season. Oh, yeah. Griff, Griff saw another dog and he snapped. I've got to let him because I'm in the middle of recording a podcast. As embarrassing as it is, <laughs> that poor people are walking by and they're having him just act like he's ready to kill them. <laughs> hey, hey, not my fault. Not my fault. You shouldn't walk by my place. It's your fault. Not my fault my dog's out of control. Your fault for walking on the sidewalk. Anyway, so I would look to create 27 mil in cap space because they got nearly 20 mil for next season. You trade Clefbaum's contract out, which I know by next season, yeah, maybe he's back, but where does he even fit? You know, like, let's be honest, it's you're not going to carry four point. You might carry him this whole season to play him in the playoffs. You know, you might do the Kucherov move, but next season, like you can't, you can't have them on the books for next season because look at their cap situation. Like, if Pulleyarvi, if McLeod, 
We know Nurse is probably getting eight mil. Like, there's a lot of money. We don't know what Fogel's going to get. This isn't factoring in the fact that Yamamoto is going to get a contract, you know, a new contract here pretty soon. Probably looking at two million, two years, two mil per. You know, so it's they're going to need every dime they have, and that's not even including goaltending, which is how I got started on this. So Stuart Skinner, pretty, pretty, pretty big deal that he develops. And hey, maybe it's Konovalov. I'm not as high on Konovalov. I know analytically the numbers suggest that he's right in line with guys like Shosturkin and guys like Sorokin in the KHL. Um Konovalov, he's smaller than those guys. I don't think he's as quick as those guys. I don't think he's as as athletic as those guys. I think Konovalov is is a Yarrow Halak. He's very he's very um he's just very reliant on his positioning. You know, Yarrow Halak's not an overly athletic goaltender. He's 5'11", and he is sound, technically. To me, that's Konovalov, but we'll see. He is of the age, you know, he's the same age as Skinner. It wouldn't be a stunner if he did develop and and was stepping in rather quickly. But they'll need, you know, to put it more simply, they'll need one of those two guys because... After next season, you know, it it does not look to my eye like they are going to have any cap space to add anyone other than they're only going to be able to re-sign their players. It is vital that this system pump out players. This season, this season, they're as deep as any team in the league. I really believe that. Depth-wise, given the given where their top prospects are at in their development, when you combine that with, you know, if they sign Ryan Murray, they would definitely be seven quality defensemen deep. Because, hey, Chris Russell, for years hated that contract and whatnot. He's not on that contract anymore. He's 1.25 million. And Chris Russell, the last few years, analytically, as well as the fact that he's heart and soul, he's actually checked out. He's actually been a pretty good bottom pairing defenseman. And I think that's what everyone's always felt about Chris Russell, is Chris Russell's a great number five who should be getting paid about 2.5 million a year. He's not a number, he's not a top four who should be getting top four money. That's all. He's appropriately slotted and he's appropriately paid now. That's seven defensemen, seven quality defensemen deep if they sign Ryan Murray. Even if they don't sign Ryan Murray, you know, again, go down the list. Logason, you know, it. Can he play? The end of the year didn't look like it. 
But for a stretch last season, sure did look like it. Sure looked like he was the goods for a while last season. I mean, he was getting top four minutes playing with Adam Larson. But I think more so than anything, it was that Adam Larson was really coming on than William Loggison was actually the goods. But you never know. And then Broberg, Broberg could step in if they need him to. It's just that for Broberg's development, he should stay down, in my opinion. Maybe, you know, if you want to have the opinion of, you know what, put him on the bottom pair, let him learn under Duncan Keith. You know, Duncan Keith's going to be mentoring a lot of guys, apparently. <laughs> you know, but I, I'd understand that. Sam Rukov's closer, in my opinion. Sam Rukov's much closer to playing. Nimalainen, I think, is very worthy of a shot now, of a look. I'm not saying bring him up for 20 games, but I am saying bring him up. You know, I'd like to see him for a couple. I think he'd stay deep into camp next year. He could be an ideal guy to play on the bottom pair. They're a deep team. For, for one season, if you factor in where their prospects are at, they're a deep team. They're they're probably I I would say safely, they're top five of deepest teams in the league going into next season. But again, I'm factoring in where their prospects are at. But Broberg, Samarukov, Nimalainen, uh Marodi, Benson, Holloway, if you want to include in McLeod and Bouchard, I guess, but they're already going to be on the team. Lavoie, Skinner, like all of these guys can come up and play. You know, you 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 would you'd be terrified if they were already penciled in for spots. Maybe maybe not Holloway and maybe not Samarukov, but you know, for most of them, you'd be terrified if you know the team was rolling or operating as if they were going to be given spots. But just in terms of ability to play, all these guys can play right now, and I'm probably forgetting some too. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm forgetting some. But. Eh. Yeah, it's it's a good team for this season. Moving forward, oh. Anyway, two hours enough? Just under two hours enough for you? I hope so. Like Kurt Angle, I did this with a broken freaking neck. Well, at least it felt that way. It's felt all day like I've had a broken freaking neck. But I did this podcast for you, the people, the supaholics. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope if you're a Ken Holland supporter, you don't hate me. It's just an opinion. And it's a it's a well thought out, well educated opinion. It's just an opinion. <laughs> 
Do you actually think I'm rooting against the Oilers? I'm not. And if you hate Ken Holland and hate that I just gave him some benefits of the doubt, again, it's it's just an opinion. I definitely don't think Ken Holland is a top even 15 GM in the NHL. But I'd be lying if I said I can't see where they're what they're thinking on some of their moves, some of their decisions. Except for the Duncan Keith trade that was beyond moronic. I mean, I get wanting Duncan Keith, but like, you know, did you see the price they paid? The horrific overpay? Did you see that? I did. He only wanted to go to one team in the end. Well, one team wanted him in the end. And Chicago was going to move him. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so bad. They threw in a pick. I've had so many people tell me, Caleb Jones, because they know I'm a Caleb Jones fan, their their first go-to is, oh, well, you think Caleb Jones so good? That actually has nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. I was resigned to the fact that the Oilers as an organization were pissing away Caleb Jones. That had nothing to do with it. I was actually fine. I understood that, hey, that's the perfect piece to send back to Chicago because they're going to piss him away anyway, and Chicago really needs him to help recruit Seth. (laughs) That had nothing, literally nothing to do with it. And yes, I do think Caleb Jones is going to turn into a top-four defenseman and make everyone in Edmonton look really stupid, but that had nothing to do with the Duncan Keith trade. I was resigned to it. I said, hey, better he go to Chicago than get plucked by Seattle for nothing. Better he go to, you know, to get Duncan Keith. And then at least you can look back on it and say, well, yeah, but, you know, it was Duncan Keith. You know, they were trying to get a guy in there to replace Clefbaum and who had, you know, a ton of experience that they needed on the roster. I was fine with the Caleb Jones part. It was the five and a half that they took on and... The conditional second round pick. Oh, anyway, you've heard me complain about it for far too long. Uh, Yeah, this team, end result, this team has everything they need to be a contender. But would I call them a contender today? Nope. Nope. We'll have to wait and see. If Mike Smith repeats last season if Cody CC can fill Adam Larson's shoes if Duncan Keith can turn back the clock and once again be a top 20 defenseman in the league if Evan Bouchard can rapidly develop into a top pairing defenseman a legitimate top pairing defenseman if all those things happen I have no concerns about the forwards up front, especially with what's coming with Holloway and, you know, McLeod's going to keep developing and Lavoie's going to, I really believe Raphael Lavoie, as much as I wasn't that high on him when they drafted him, man, he's he's going to be a quality top nine forward, a power forward, a heavy guy. Another guy who I think can learn a lot from watching guys like Hyman and uh, Fogel play. Heavy with a tremendous shot. Tremendous. 
the forwards i'm not concerned they might need to they might need to upgrade i really like the idea of nick ritchie and zach cassian going cassian's more of a threat if that makes sense but Richie still gives you that guy who can go. And the and the roster in general would be so heavy that they they wouldn't get pushed around anyway without Cassian. But I would love I would love for them to gamble on Nick Richie or to bet on Nick Richie. It's a calculated risk that could pay off monstrous. Have huge payout. And man, if Dave Tippett gets his head out of his bottom, PG, he could really run four quality lines with what's there now. You know, quit loading up one line and just look to run four quality lines. He could have ran three quality lines last year in the playoffs. He refused to and only ran one. Loaded up one line, never worked the whole season, never worked the year before, yet he thought for some reason that it was going to work. If he just kept doing it, it would eventually work. He could run four quality lines now. But anyway, another day. <laughs> this is um, Thanks for listening to the whole show. I am Tyler Campbell. Remember... This podcast was brought to you by Denim Chrysler. Shout out to Lake Life Caesars as well. I haven't seen any money yet, but they did. They they did give me did give me a nice little uh, nice little gift the other day. Nice little gift the other day from Lake Life Caesars. So check out their website. I actually haven't got, I, I don't want to say, I think it's lakelifecaesars.com. But just in case, Google Lake Life Caesars. They had a nice little website, order their product, check them out. Terrific, honestly. Local Lloyd Company. I, uh, I don't know anyone who's got a bad word to say about them. And their Caesars, I'm not a Caesar guy. My buddy Ryan poured me one the other day on the house, loved it. Loved it. So check them out. Denim Chrysler. Come on down. I'll hook you up. I got to go. I'm running out of recording time. I'm Tyler Campbell. Thanks for listening to this marathon of a podcast. See you next time.